Hello, everybody. Uh, just before we get into the um, actual episode for today, I had a little bit of news that came up in between our recording and uh, the release. So just going to drop a couple of things in here before we get started. Uh, Ace is not with me uh, right now. He is on a trip. So just me for the uh, news segment here. Uh, the biggest thing that happened that uh, occurred in between the recording and the release is the commitment of Arthur Kaluma uh, to K-State. Uh, we knew that he was visiting. Um, I don't think anybody expected him to commit um, on his visit, especially considering he had Kentucky and Alabama visits lined up. Uh, but instead, he decided to not get, not roll with those. And he ends up choosing K-State, uh, which is a massive, massive, massive portal victory for Jerome Tang and the men's basketball staff. Uh, Arthur Kaluma uh, of Creighton uh, spent his first two years there. He's a former top 50 um, basketball recruit. Uh, this past season specifically, um, he was really, really good uh, for Creighton, uh, averaging just under 12 points a game, uh, shooting about 31% from three, which was a 5% increase from his freshman year, uh, just under 50% from two. So overall about 42% from the field and up to his free throw percentage quite a bit uh, up at 6%. Uh, he's shooting 73.6. Uh, and then also really good rebounders while well, uh, grabbing six boards a game. So that 12 and six number, if you can replicate that, that's going to be great. But a lot of his value does stem from defense. Arthur Kluma, really, really good defender. He's a uh, six foot seven, 220 forward. Although, in truth, he's going to be more of a wing than an actual traditional post guy. There's not going to be a lot of traditional post guys that Jerome Tang ever has anyways. We're not going to see many Davion Bradfords or Casey Ziegus uh, or McCall May Weens ever on the Jerome Tang team. So Arthur Kaluma, he is incredibly athletic, especially for his size. He's somebody that probably ends up being an NBA guy. Uh, whether it be next year or the year after, he's almost certainly going to get drafted just based on his athletic profile. Uh, he's got really long arms and is a tenacious defender that can guard probably the one through the four and maybe the five in a pinch. Uh, he's really, really uh, versatile in that regard. And he get, does a lot of his scoring right at the rim. He's a really good slasher and driver. Um and he additionally uh, will step out and take the three as well. Of course, you'd love to see him get a little bit more consistent from the mid-range. Not that that's something K-State's going to do a ton, but just having that last element available just to keep defenders honest and understand that you can take that mid-range uh, will take him even further. But super athletic. If you go watch his highlight tapes, uh, he's constantly dunking or just making great drives to the lane. He's going to be a really great addition. This is probably about a perfect fit for what Jerome Tang wants in a player. He wants a versatile wing, really, really long arms, hyper athlete uh, that can shoot the three as well as get to the bucket. I I think that's exactly what K-State wants uh, out of their big guys. Arthur Kaluma, big time power five win as well. Uh, and again, uh, once again, Jerome Tang for two years in a row shows that we get worried too easily with the portal and he figures it out regardless. Uh, so if there were ever, if there was ever any doubt on his ability to really um, figure it out in the portal and get the guys that he wants, uh, that should be put to rest now after the past two off seasons. And additionally, another thing that Kaluma's commitment does, um, he's, a top 20 guy in 24-7, but also if you go to CBS, um, Arthur Kaluma is number 13 uh, in the portal rankings. Tyler Perry, uh, the first K-State portal commitment, and he's number 12. So that gives us two top 15 uh, transfer portal commitments for K-State in the offseason. And that's really great uh, to get out of the way because all of a sudden you have two guys that are going to come in and start immediately. Tyler Perry is going to be a starter. Arthur Kaluma will almost certainly start. I, I don't see a way that he doesn't unless Michaela Bridge decides to shoot 40% uh, 
from three in the offseason or something like that. But I think the addition of Kaluma is huge. And now I think the next priority is going to be a guard, most likely. Um, more so a shooting guard, maybe. Um, but ultimately, I think we take a combo guard and maybe even prefer one. Uh, but I really like uh, the Kaluma ad to pair with Tyler Perry. I can already see a lot of dunks coming next year. Naquan Tomlin is back. Uh, Kaluma coming in. Uh, if we get glimpses of Michaela Bridge, he's going to do some incredible things. Uh, the roster lists Michaela Bridge, a little off topic, but the roster currently lists him as six foot seven, 250 pounds. And that's not bad weight. So Michaela Bridge is going to have some all-time highlights probably for K-State basketball. Um, I'll make a bold prediction says he puts one guy in a poster this year if he plays. Uh, but Kaluma, back to Kaluma. Uh, it's really great to get somebody with high-level experience. Um, he played in the Big East and held his own. He was a quality player for Creighton, and he started 67 games. Uh, in two seasons Uh, that's really effective that's really good to see and we get a versatile wing that can play uh, around the arc or drive to the rim and somebody that can defend a lot of positions and do it well this is going to be a really really salty defensive team when you boil it down because cam carter already a really great defender then you've got kaluma out there and then you've got tomlin as well that Tomlin and Kaluma out there as defenders, there's not going to be a lot of space in passing lanes uh, this upcoming season. So welcome to K-State, Arthur Kaluma, and I am really looking forward to seeing what he can do for K-State. Uh, we'll be seeing that not too long from now, about five months, less than five months, actually. Uh, if the uh, matchup with USC and Las Vegas ends up being official, which I, it seems like it essentially is, but yeah, massive, massive get for K-State with Arthur Kluma. Then we have one other portal addition, and that is for baseball. The Backhats made a massive pickup of their own in securing Chuck Ingram from Wichita State. Uh, Chuck Ingram was a three-year starter. He started 132 games for Wichita State. He was the full-time starter in uh, center field in 2022 I believe the same in uh, 2023, but he's listed as being able to play any outfield position. He's also logged some starts at uh, first base as well. And we can dig into him a little bit more as well. Um, there's conflicting um, evidence on his uh, batting average. Some say, uh, or specifically on baseball reference, they have him listed as having uh, a 362 um last season which i think that actually may be correct at one point it was 367 and that number differed from what wichita state reported so i think we can confirm that he was batting 362 some base percentage was 437 he's slugging 579 ops over a thousand last year uh 1.016 um in his three seasons he's hit 26 home runs and 23 of those have been in the last two years um, 102 RBIs at the college level, 23 stolen bases, bit of a high K rate at 167. Um, doesn't draw a ton of walks. Um, but again, he's a really, really good player offensively and defensively, and he fills a big need because we're losing two outfielders in Cole Johnson and Cash Rugely. So bring in a very, very talented um, guy in Chuck Ingram. Uh, that that's massive to help fill in those outfield spots because uh, Brandon Jones probably has center field on lock, um, but you can put Ingram really anywhere. And I doubt we move Jones, but if the need, if it, the need arises, we could probably put Ingram in the center as well. Um, I I'm very, very high on the Ingram ad um, for the power purposes and just for the all-around player purposes. Um, he only committed three errors last year, uh, so pretty solid there. Um, don't really have the time to sit down and watch all of his highlights, so I I can't really confirm whether um, the errors are a true indicator of his defense, but everything we seem to be hearing is that he is a good defender. We definitely need good defenders. 
so hopefully he brings a strong arm to the table. But big, big pickup for P. Hughes and the Wildcats. I, I'm really hopeful that he will start next year. I, I don't know why I'm even saying it like that. He he will start next year, almost certainly. And he will uh, be a massive addition to this lineup. Um, And now what we really need to do in the portal is we need to try and find um, pitchers. We need pitchers pretty badly. And uh, I, I think that that's probably going to be the next place that we try and hit the portal. But Ingram, a huge ad that kind of came out of nowhere, honestly, just saw it in the Twitter feed. And that was that. Now it's just kind of how the baseball recruiting world works. Um, can't really make heads or tails of it at times, but um, we can look at his fielding history, mostly center field um, this past season, or back in 2022, I should say. Um, and then in 2022, he also did register five games in left field. And then he also, in his freshman season, played 10 games at first base. So we can probably find somewhere to put him uh, when it's all said and done. But big time recruiting portal win for the Batcats. And also a little side note on the Batcats, um, Austin Waits, one of the lead assistants, is going to stick around. Um, I did not realize that there was smoke about him going elsewhere, but um, D1 baseball's Kendall Rogers, uh, one of the most reliable guys in the college baseball world, uh, he said that there was a lot pointing towards Waits potentially taking the job, the head job at Memphis, but instead he signed a multi-year deal to stay at K-State, and I, I'm very happy with that. Um, recruiting has been good since he's been around, um, at least on paper. And there's clearly a ton of talent on our rosters. And he's also, I think, uh, really helped with our batting approach and adjusted it year to year. So big, big, big win. A uh, big offseason win for the Batcats, that is. So he usually keep awesome weights around. But yeah, pretty much nothing but good news for uh, um, KC Athletics right now. Uh, granted, not a lot of news anyways, but Arthur Klum is a huge ad. Chuck Ingram is as well. And keeping awesome weights around, that's really big too. So that's all I have for you in this new segment. And we'll go ahead and get into the Aggieville Alley Cats hypothetical number two next. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Baltazor. And welcome to the second episode of Alley Cat Hypotheticals, where we took we take a look at different scenarios in K-State history and ask the question, what if something ended up going a little bit differently? For the last episode, we talked about what if Will Howard was the starting quarterback for the entirety of 2022, and we're going to stick with a football question, but focus more on one game and how that changes the outlook for a season of not one, but two teams, and perhaps even a player or two. But this week's question and hypothetical is, what if Tyler Lockett caught the end zone slant pass against Auburn, or what if Jack Cantell made his field goals against Auburn? Which... This is, if you're not sure what we're referring to, we, we normally go over what actually happened, which this was the fourth game, or no, rather the third game of the 2014 season. Both squads were coming in after winning their first two games. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I mispronounced Cantel. It's Cantelli. Um, I, I'm bad at pronouncing names a lot, but... You were not the worst that I've seen. Yeah, but... <laughs> It was a top 25 matchup for both squads. K-State coming in at number 20. Auburn ranked at number five after the previous year getting a national title berth. And this was one of the most anticipated matchups of the early season. And it was a massive crowd, very loud and raucous crowd at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. 
But in our world, a few key plays ended up shifting the game towards Auburn's favor, and they ended up winning the game 20-14. to Two of those plays that were mentioned would be the Tyler Lockett drop in the end zone on the first quarter slant pattern and Jack Cantelli going 0 for 3 on his field goals. So in this world, let's just alter that a little bit. Let's say Tyler Lockett does make that catch and let's say that Jack Cantelli makes all of his field goals. And just for good measure, for the first drive of the game, let's say that Jake Waters doesn't fumble on the opening drive of the game. So we'll start small and then work outwards. So, Connor, what do you think happens just from the jump? If we'll start with Tyler Lockett making that end zone catch. Um, well, first of all, if we assume nothing else changes in the game, K-State wins, assuming that the extra point is made. Uh, so at worst, it's an overtime matchup and uh, and that would lead to a whole different path, but it would be very different, um, especially because, well, for one, Tyler Lockett um, has no—he he has in the NFL not dropped a red zone target and never dropped a red zone target after uh, that moment. He took against it personally. Auburn. Yeah, he he took it personally, which it was very un Tyler Lockett like. Uh, it was not. Not something they're used to seeing, especially because he ended up being, a, I think, a consensus All-American and it was a third round pick. But um, making that catch early in the game against Auburn, that, that changes a lot. Because even if we do assume that Jake Waters still fumbles and Auburn still gets a field goal there, K-State uh, would take that 7-3 to lead. Um, and especially painful was that drive was 11 plays, 74 yards over six minutes. And so getting all the way down to the one yard line and then just uh, dropping it at the very, very last moment when you were about to go up on Auburn and then you uncharacteristically drop it, uh, that, that that's a big momentum shift right there. So um, it would have been huge. It would have changed everything in that game probably. Tyler Lockett makes that catch. Now, maybe um, Auburn... Um, that ends up being like a kick in the pants for them and they end up waking up. We can't anticipate all that, but assuming Auburn's side of the game goes pretty much the same, then it's easy to say, well, okay, K-State probably wins in this situation. And you throw in field goals, that's kind of more of an either or, I think, because you can you can get to victory with both of them. Granted, one of those field goals against Auburn, I think was at least partially blocked. Um I, I don't think it's listed as that in the uh, uh, in the stats, but I could have sworn that one of them was blocked. I might be wrong, but it changes a lot for um, K-State um, and for uh, Tyler Lockett as well, um, especially with this being one of, if not the first games in college football to have playoff implications, given that Auburn was top five at the time and we were in the twenties and we're a team with a lot of talent that could have moved up. So uh, that really could have led to a pretty significant rise in uh, K-State football for 2014. Yeah. And I, I think it's worth noting that the, one of the Jake waters interceptions, he threw two, but zero touchdowns. If you basically sub out the interception with a touchdown, you know, he goes one and one and the stat line looks slightly better. And you know, Tyler Lockett obviously picks up a touchdown as well, but the quiet unsung hero, as he tended to be, was Curry Sexton going 11 for 121 this game. No, I think no one benefited more than Tyler Lockett being on the team and Curry Sexton, maybe. I, I, I think that was a godsend for him, and he took absolute advantage of it. And yeah, he he's kind of an underrated receiver in K-State lore. I think everybody knows that by obviously Tyler Lockett's actually just a much better receiver. And he was the beneficiary of not being the sole attention of the defense. But at the same time, he took advantage of that and he still had to make some great catches. So shout out Kerry Sexton. Yeah. So that's, you know, in a, in a small nutshell, let's just say hypothetically Cantelli makes his field goals and Tyler Lockett makes the catch in the end zone. So K-State obviously wins the game, 
that's the end of the episode. Go home. No, not quite. We, we said we're going to start small and then sort of expand outwards from there. So let's assume that, you know, K-State ends up winning the game. Nothing else changes except for the field goals and the catch. That gives K-State the victory in this given scenario. So how does the rest of the year turn out for both squads? Because this is a K-State podcast, we're going to hold everyone here until we do the K-State portion. So we'll talk about Auburn first. It's worth noting that all of Auburn's losses, except for one, were up against ranked teams. And that included a loss up against number three at the time, Mississippi State in Starkville. Texas A&M wasn't ranked, but that was probably their worst loss. Texas A&M always pulls out one random I hate you victory while they're unranked. That still remains to this day. (laughs) Lost at number 15, Georgia in Athens, and then lost in the Iron Bowl before losing to number 18, Wisconsin in the Outback Bowl. So how does their season change if they end up losing this game? The answer, it doesn't really. I mean, they still end up going probably to a similar, if not the exact same bowl game. They probably don't pick up any additional games. I don't think they drop any additional games either because this wasn't a momentum game in the middle of the season. Their next opponent was Louisiana Tech, (laughs) which was their homecoming game, by the way. It's an interesting choice for homecoming, but I guess they wanted to sure win. Yeah, and having it really early. But I don't really think that a whole lot ends up changing for the Auburn Tigers on the year. I still think that Gus Malzahn keeps his job because he kept the job up until 2020 when he got fired after his like eighth consecutive winning season. (laughs) So, you know, not a whole lot really changes in terms of what Auburn does, you know, they, instead of eight and five, they go in the regular season, they go seven and five. And then depending on what happens in the bowl game, who's to say. So basically saying that nothing changes for them, but what about for K state? See this, this is where I think it gets a little bit more interesting. And Connor, I I know you want to talk a little bit about, the poll history here. And I feel like that's important context before we explain what changes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously we we've said already that the Auburn matchup between K-State and Auburn, Auburn was five. uh, K-State was 20. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the first examples of a game that could have playoff implications at the time. That's how it looked at the end of the day. It didn't really end up mattering that much. In fact, it mattered more for K-State than it did for Auburn. Um, because K-State did um, have a cup of coffee in the top 10 of the college football playoff poll. They rose as high as number seven uh, in week 11. That's right before they lost to TCU. Um, So they beat Auburn and they're undefeated. They're at least six, maybe higher, honestly. Uh, They could have maybe gotten to as high as number five uh, for being generous. but I mean, also at the same time, week 11, Auburn, they were seven and one and they were number three. Yeah. So if we beat them. They're down below us, too. So there's an argument for K-State being in the field at the time of week 11, which I don't know how much that changes the TCU result. But if it does at all, I I'm not convinced that it would because um, TCU was just a really, really, really good team in 2014 that probably should have been in the playoff um, based on the results and they were a fun team too but it would have come down to does k-state being even more highly ranked and really having that shot the playoff does that change it at all i don't i don't know i'm not really convinced and you go down the list and again they beat west virginia they beat ku they go on the road to baylor in K-State, again, when they faced Baylor, they were ranked uh, number nine So in the playoff poll, that is. And Baylor was number six. So that was a huge game as well. It was a game day. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I actually forgot about that. I wish that we could have it a whole. But 
Yeah, but we got game day at Baylor, and it was a massive game again, playoff implications, same thing with TCU. And if K-State beats Auburn at that point in the year, they would have been 10-1, and which they would have been right there. They would have been above Michigan State and above Arizona. That would have put them at 7, maybe 6, depending on the uh, rankings with Baylor because they were also 10-1. and So they would have been... With a few dominoes fell the right way, they could have had a shot at getting in. Uh, it would have required Ohio State, the eventual national champion, to lose. I don't think I'd want to bet on that. Yeah. <laughs> K-State would, at minimum, be right right there. At nine, at that point of season, you were out, pretty much. And But again, I still don't know if that changes anything for K-State, because I specifically remember this Baylor game pretty much being lost because of our defense. Um, offensively, we had a pretty good game. I mean, uh, we, I think it's a few too many field goals, but um, we had a pretty solid day offensively. Tyler Lockett broke uh, some of the school records that day as well. I think it might have been touchdowns for a career. Um, but Baylor was a really good team. We were playing 10 yards off constantly, and they said, all right, we're, we're going to run eight-yard like eight yard hitches and eight-yard eight curls and like quick slams, quick outs. Like, and we just didn't adjust. I don't know if the Baylor result changes at all. But again, if we're going to look at it through purple tinted glasses, does the, if we did beat Auburn, if we did beat Auburn and we're headed into week 15, we're five or six or, or six or seven, I should say. And we're right there. And if we luck out and TCU loses a game, uh, the following week to Baylor because that was it the week before or week after that uh, they played Baylor. Yeah. TCU, you mean? Yes. Uh, they, played, they played Baylor way earlier. They played really? uh, Baylor a month before us. Oh, Baylor was their one loss and it was yeah. a 61 to 58 loss. Yeah. That's why I thought it was a later season game was because of how high the stakes were and it ended up being what kept TCU out of the playoffs. So I thought that it was later, but I digress. Um, so TCU, they dropped that game. Um, but Baylor is right there. If we, we can flip some results around in case they maybe ends up a bit higher. Um, but you have to do a lot of contorting to make that work. Because I think K-State, in terms of their true talent on that season, ended up about exactly where they should have. And that was at like 9-4, and four, where they were beating all the teams they were clearly better than. And they lost two teams that they were clearly worse than, with really the best argument for backing the result they should have being Auburn. Um, so I don't know. It, it's hard to hypothesize. Because, I mean, K-State was built that season on Tyler Lockett, and prayer on defense <laughs> and that that was about as far as it went um but what are your thoughts ace um how do the polls change does k-state have a better chance in making the well obviously have a much better chance in making the playoff but how realistic is that chance and are they someone that is sitting there crossing their fingers on uh selection day uh, when the final polls are released or are they just kind of expecting to not be in the way that I see it is I think it matters a lot for optics because obviously I do think that K-State probably ends up because they'd be undefeated going into the TCU game. So they'd be above TCU. They'd probably honestly find themselves sneaking in to that fourth spot going into the TCU game. And I think that them fighting for their playoff lives and the fact that they are already in would provide a little bit of extra motivation for them. That being said, I don't think TCU is the more likely of the two teams that they would end up beating. I think it's actually slightly more likely that they would end up beating Baylor. Now, totally why? Agree. Like the, the reason why I say that is you look at TCU's record, their only loss was to Baylor in Waco. And I, you know, that's really important. K-State ended up playing them in Waco as well, but it was a significantly closer game and Baylor lost to a okay West Virginia squad that year. 
I think Baylor is the more likely of the two to end up getting beat. But that being said, the TCU game would be the one that they would have to pick up. The I think the biggest beneficiary of Baylor or of K-State beating Auburn, God help me, is TCU. Because TCU, they probably wouldn't have lost on the rest of the year by beating, you know, at the time, number seven in the poll. They changed the number seven to a number four. TCU probably kicks up to that four spot. And they probably end up making the college football playoff based off of nothing more than K-State beating Auburn. And I know that that's a very, very unsatisfying answer if you're a K-State fan, especially given this previous year. But let's let's just put that aside for the minute because I don't think this year K-State would have had the the talent really to be a college football playoff contender. Like is, is there is a hypothetical world where they just ride the momentum and hold on for dear life for their college football playoff hopes. I, I think there's a world where that happens. That being said, I just don't see them beating a, a salty TCU squad that is fighting to get in especially coming off of like a a thriller up against West Virginia the previous week. And then just the most lopsided score I've seen up against Texas tech two weeks before 82 to 27. (laughs) But I, so the biggest beneficiary is TCU for college football playoff implications, but I do think that this season does end up going a little bit better and K-State probably gets a share of the Big 12 title. I don't think it ends up being Baylor and TCU holding the title for 2014 together. I think it ends up being K-State and TCU. It has nothing to do because, you know, Auburn was a non-con game. I think it has everything to do with K-State holding on to momentum and knowing that, okay, this is every game is a make-or-break game for us. And plus, it would have been really nice to be involved in the opening year of the college football playoff. Yeah, that, that would have been awesome. Uh, we would have gotten shredded by any of the playoff teams. Oh, yeah. Maybe not Florida State, because they were super overrated that year. And every time I think of Florida State that season, in 2014, I think of the Rose Bowl uh, where Jameis is like trying to throw the ball and he just throws it behind him and it's returned for like a touchdown. Mm-hmm. And that, that's the only mental image I have of that. Um, but K-State, yeah, you're, it, you said it earlier. It's definitely unsatisfying to think about um, because it, it doesn't really result in K-State really substantially changing their season by that much. Um, Beating Auburn would have been massive early in the year because when that loss happened, that as a sort of loss, it does really take the wind out of a team's sails, even though they did win for a while after that. But they've kind of ended up being relegated or relegating themselves to just being like among like the best of the rest and that sort of territory, which again, we, we do also need to talk about TCU just getting absolutely hosed um, in the playoff because yeah. they went. From week 15 ranked number three to week 16, the final poll being ranked number six, which is just absolutely horrific. And I get that they ended up putting Ohio State in um, over them, but man, we saw what happened to them. Ohio State in hindsight deserved it. Florida State in hindsight did not deserve to be the three seed because they just got destroyed by Oregon. I mean, that that was painful for TCU. That was one of their better teams ever. And from then on, it was just kind of a decline for Gary Patterson. But I digress. It's a K-State hypothetical, not a TCU sob fest. But <laughs> K-State, yeah, they going back to that game, really, there's also plenty of individual stories that change, I think. Uh, Tyler Lockett, his stats end up being even better somehow, if granted by if we're just going off that one catch, it's by one yard and one touchdown. But um, another, the guy who's maybe impacted the most by this hypothetical is Jack Cantelli. 
um, because he just it, it wasn't good after uh, after this game. Um, he was relieved of field goal kicking duties after this game and did not attempt another field goal until the last home game against KU. He took one and the following game against Auburn, he missed a uh, extra point as well. Uh, and then he kind of just got relegated to being the place kicker. Um, but then he got lost that job and didn't kick for over a month after the uh, Oklahoma game. So Kintelli just went down the drain after the Auburn game and understandably so because at the time he was really the guy that was blamed and it's hard not to do that when you miss three field goals in one of the biggest games in years for uh, for K-State and a lot of those misses they uh, they weren't exactly uh, deep kicks either Um, he missed from 41 42 and 22 and I could have sworn one of those was blocked, but uh, it's not marked as that. I believe they are all listed as missed, um, but it was a, a tough outing for uh, for Jack Cantelli, especially following the footsteps of his uh, older brother, Anthony Cantelli, who uh, was kind of an underrated K-State kicker. He was really good and on that Big 12 championship team, but that probably changes perception of Jack Cantelli, even though he did kind of redeem himself. Uh, actually, no, that happened before. So he did not redeem himself. It was an unredemption because he had a game winner <laughs> against TCU um, in 2013. So got my wires crossed there, but he did end up getting the job back in 2015 and was good. He went 12 for 14 on the year, um, but still um, a lot probably changes with uh, Jack Antelli's K-State career if he ends up uh, making at least two of those kicks. He doesn't even have to make all three. If he makes two of them, then K-State at least goes to overtime, assuming the Auburn game doesn't change that much. Yeah. But you know what else it means? also means we don't get an early look at Matt McCrane. That is also true. Because um, Matt McCrane... I'm trying to remember what game. It might have been later, so I won't get too far into it. But he was electric in uh, uh, 2014 when he started to play, uh, if I'm remembering this correctly. He he had his first extra point attempt up against Auburn. Yeah, because I I think Antelli got um, benched after his third miss. And, well, because it was from 22 yards, it was pretty much an extra point. So, yeah, he got sent to to the bench and Matt McCrane started kicking. And he goes 18 and 19. Yeah, I think he might have gotten hurt in uh, 2015. And that's why Jack and Telly ended up kicking. But it's a whole side tangent. Um, But yeah, Jack and Telly, he's a major beneficiary um, if K-State is able to hold on and beat Auburn. Because even if he doesn't make any of his field goals, if Tyler Lockett catches that pass in the end zone and we still win by one, Assuming that he makes the extra point, which we, I guess, could not have relied on in this game. But yeah, um, if we end up winning regardless, he probably doesn't have the shaking confidence that comes from it. And he probably at least gets a better chance at keeping his job because so much of kicking is mental. And going over three against a top five team when if you make your kicks, you would have won that. <laughs> That's going to mess with your head a bit. And I I, mean, I think that changes a lot for Jack Cantelli. But there's a lot of what-ifs that come out of this game. And I don't think any of them end in K-State season ending drastically differently. No. Which is maybe the strangest thing about looking back at this game. Because this game was absolutely massive for K-State. This is one of the biggest, it's pretty much the biggest non-conference game in years for K-State at home. Probably the biggest since uh, early 2000s USC at home, which I can't remember exactly what year that was, maybe 02. But K-State hosting Auburn on national television in primetime, there would be only thing happening 
in that window, apparently, except for a high school football game I had to be at. And you were right, by the way, uh, USC was 0-2. Awesome. Uh, so it was the biggest home game in over a decade um, for K-State at home uh, in a non-conference. And you get that close and you just aren't able to seal the deal. That's got to hurt like a lot. And it changes a lot, maybe with perception of the season, because this was one of the biggest uh, disappointments in K-State football history, especially, of course, I was not able to be there. I have heard incredible things about the atmosphere of that game. Uh, it was over 53,000 in the stadium for that game. Yeah. And uh, man, it, it could have changed a lot with perception of the 2014 season which is still remembered fairly well but it goes from being a pretty good year to really being a great year yeah it it becomes a year of oh that was a pretty fun year to oh damn do you remember when we were like in the college football playoff like projection at one point that's what the season shifts to so i don't think a lot changes in the season itself, other than, you know, we don't get to see, we don't get a sneak peek at Matt McCrane, but I don't even think all big 12 selections matter with any of the like changes because, you know, Tyreek Hill was newcomer of the year and Trayvon Boykin was the offensive player of the year. Yeah. Nothing's taken that from him. Um, But I think the main change is just how people talk about this season. And I, I think that you're exactly right to say that it becomes this, it becomes a seasons where, Oh, we were so close to being in the college football playoff. I think it kind of gets similar to that 2012 season in a way where people constantly say, Oh, Notre Dame shouldn't have been the pick. K state should have been the pick. I think that's sort of where we end up going. I think that's how this season ends up getting talked about for the rest of, of K state history. Yeah, it would definitely be another what if type of season. It would have been huge to be able to have two of those type of seasons in three years. Um, if we're going to get into recruiting implications, I honestly don't think it matters. No, um, I, I don't think it changes anything because it's been pretty much an open secret that the staff, um, especially in the latter part of uh, the previous decade, um, didn't recruit. They just, yeah, they just didn't really try very hard on the recruiting trail. It just wasn't their focus. And with that talent drained more and more and the teams got worse and worse. And eventually we were, we were always going to reach a point where the talent just wasn't going to be there because the staff just didn't dedicate time to recruiting. Uh, That was a choice that they made. Uh, So I don't think recruiting gets much, if any better because of this game. Um, Yeah. So this doesn't change much. I think about uh, Bill Snyder's legacy other than it adds another like marquee win to put in the um, highlight reels, but maybe changes. Oh, it doesn't change Tyler Lockett's legacy at all. No. I don't, Cause I don't think people think much different of him. Um, as things go, it definitely changes Jack Cantelli's legacy, maybe, which granted he probably still ha- doesn't have like a massive one, but I think people probably better. I think people look back at him with more appreciation as opposed to like a oh, poor guy. Cause like that is there were two camps of K state fans with Jack and people that absolutely despised him and people that felt bad for him, but nobody thought he was good at that point in time. Yeah. So um, maybe that changes his legacy, but it's so interesting because it's such a massive game that happened for K state. Uh, it was huge in national implications uh, for the playoff, the first year of the playoff at that, um, which made it such a spectacle. Um, but ultimately, not much changes uh, if K-State wins this game. Um, I don't know. Um, there's If you look at it through the most K-State-friendly tent possible, I still don't think we beat TCU. No. Um, we maybe beat Baylor, but we'd have to decide to play better defense and i don't think <laughs> that was going to change because of the auburn game so I, I i'm not confident in saying that k-state like gets a share of the big 12 title or makes the playoff if they beat auburn um it would be awesome if we did but i don't think that i can honestly predict it though yeah i 
I would say that it becomes more likely that K-State beats Baylor just because the only team that would have ended up beating them would have been in the playoff. So I think maybe they would have thought, oh, we have an outside shot, so now they get a touch more motivation. So maybe there's a world where they end up sharing a slice of the Big 12 title in 2013. I'm non-committal on that. I could see it happening, and I could see it not happening. But so sort of the, the TLDR of, of this scenario is K-State ends up winning the game, obviously, if Tyler Lockett catches the pass or if Jack Cantelli makes all three of his field goals. They end up going probably are in the college football playoff going down to TCU, still probably drop the game against TCU. That puts TCU in the college football playoff. Let's say for the sake of argument, they replace. Well, actually, if they replace Ohio State, Oregon probably wins the natty, don't they? Based on what we saw in real life, yeah, but um, that would require Oregon to likely beat Alabama. Mm-hmm. And because Ohio State beat Alabama pretty badly, right? Mm-hmm. Like that, that was kind of a blowout, as I recall, because that was like the emergence of Cardale Jones. Oh, yeah. Um, Hang on. I'll go he, check. He was not there to play school. But um, it, it would maybe change some stuff, I guess, in the paradigm of college football. Could have that butterfly effect to give Oregon that national title. Um, with Marcus Mariota, who is still one of my all-time favorite college quarterbacks uh, from a non-K-State perspective. I always really, really liked Marcus Mariota. Yeah, but it was, it was a close game. Uh, it was that same year. It was 42-35 to 35 Ohio State. There was not a blowout. It was just high scoring then. Yeah. So, but that was back when the playoff was like kind of new and shiny and really fun. Uh, it's kind of worn down a little bit over time, I think. Expansion might help. It might make it worse. I'm not going to prognosticate on that. But um, yeah, it theoretically could change it. If TCU beats K-State still, I think that they probably do. TCU is just a straight up better team than K-State that year. And there's no doubt about that in my mind. Um, if K-State does end up beating Baylor, that probably helps push TCU in. Um TBD, I guess. Um, honestly, I don't even know if the K-State Baylor result would matter because uh, K-State would already have that Auburn victory there. So TCU going to like the last week of the season, they would have a loss against Baylor who would either be 11-1 or 10-2. and And then they'd have a win against K-State who would either be um, 11-1 or 10-2 and at that point in time. So not a lot would change um at that point so tcu maybe still gets in over ohio state maybe they don't they have to rely on ohio state not just having an absolute beat down of i think it was wisconsin that year or nebraska maybe like some whoever was they faced in the big 10 championship like they just decimated that year it was like 50 something to like single digits or yeah, low teens or something they were not they were not happy <laughs> no they were not <laughs> and they made a point to try and get in, and it worked in their favor. Um, but yeah, K State still doesn't make the playoff, probably. But TCU does potentially get in, um, and they'd have, of course, an outside shot at winning. They'd probably, based on how the playoff poll worked, probably before um, they would drop, even though they won. I think Florida State would move ahead. You'd have to rely on Ohio State not getting in, which they seemed pretty determined to do. Yeah. Um, but if that were to happen, TCU would have to beat Bama and then they'd have to beat Oregon most likely because Florida State had no business being there yeah. that year. But yeah, the, that's the most interesting butterfly effect that I think we could probably think of outside of K-State. So we would, yeah, like you said earlier, TCU probably benefits the most from K-State beating Auburn, uh, much more than K-State does at least. Yeah. And in terms of what happens for K-State, I think the change is largely one based off of legacy, where people talk about the 2014 season, basically before the TCU game of we were in the college football playoff discussion at one point. And not only in the discussion, if it ended at a certain point in the season, and not just the first week, if it it ended halfway through the season, we would have been in. 
And I think that is going to be the lasting legacy of this hypothetical world where K-State beats Auburn. Yeah, they would have easily pushed their way um, up into the top four. At one point, they may not have ever eclipsed one um, in the AP poll. Um, because by the halfway point of the year, uh, week eight, week nine, they were in the low teens, like 11 to 14. If yeah. they beat Auburn, they probably end up being higher. Who's to say if they make it all the way up uh, to the very top? But it's just a guess. There's a lot of different ways that the season could have gone. Maybe they beat Auburn and realize that they are good at football and <laughs> just proceed to decimate everybody and go on to roll the national tam- championship and Bill Snyder rides off into the sunset. Maybe not, though. Uh, it's it's tough to say. But, but I know most of what I think about it is... TCU benefits, K-State kind of benefits, but but not super directly. Uh, So you have any final thoughts, Ace? No, Uh, that's really about it. Yeah, I'm trying to think of more things to say here, but I think that we've kind of worn this uh, down as much as we can. So, Yep. So with that said, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggie Bo Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, maybe give us a few more hypotheticals. You could contact us at AggievilleACats on Instagram and Twitter or email us at AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, again, just, just wait. Just wait a few weeks. Well, you'll get you'll get an opportunity, and I think you'll even want to with uh, – with what we're what we're cooking by who we i cook, mean man <laughs> who let us cook it's not us cooking it's someone we are not cooking. affiliated we, with us <laughs> we we are enjoying watching somebody else cook for us <laughs> yeah exactly but for now thank you all for listening to this episode of the aggieville alley cats podcast we're come rain shine or anything in between we're here to deliver to you the kansas state sporting news you so love stay safe alley cats <laughs>